In the final decade of the last century, or to put it on a longer timeline, the last millennium, there appeared a group of films that hinted at a small but emerging phenomenon. At the time, the associative word was globalization, and what linked the small groups of films together was that they each contained narratives that stretched the boundaries of conventional storytelling. Krzysztof Koszlowski's Colors trilogy, Robert Altman's Shortcuts, Atom Agoyen's Exotica, Milcho Manchewski's Before the Rain, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, Michael Haneke's Code Unknown, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, Alejandro Iñárritu's Amores Perosh, and Steven Soderbergh's Traffic. You guys remind me of those Japanese soldiers left behind on deserted islands who think World War II is still going on, you know that? Let me be the first to tell you, your government surrendered this war a long fucking time ago. I don't know. I don't think all this attitude is going to help him any in front of a jury. It's, it's really bad attitude. Very bad. Very really bad. Look, Ed, there's only one problem with all this math. You're in here. Oh, I, I got greedy, didn't I? Yes, you did. Yeah. Whether set in Paris, Los Angeles, Toronto, London or Mexico City, each of those plots were structured to reflect contemporary urban life within an increasingly globalised community. Although none of those films addressed or even acknowledged a new thingamajig called the internet, and even though each filmmaker was working independently of the others, nonetheless they each produced works with multi-strand plots which, although completely separate at first, gradually, or eventually, interlinked to suggest a meta-connectedness. While economists, sociologists and lexicologists preferred the term globalization, it was cineast Elisa Quart, writing in the 2005 August edition of Film Comment, who coined the term hyperlink cinema. While a relatively new phenomenon in film, Multi-strand plots had already appeared in such 19th-century novels as George Eliot's Middlemarch, Honoré de Balzac's The Human Comedy, and Leonid Tolstoy's War and Peace, and back even further to ancient Mayan, Indian, and Greek mythologies. Perhaps we should have our war tomorrow when you're better rested. I should have you whipped for your impudence. Perhaps you should fight him. Achilles. Achilles. Look at the men's faces. You can save hundreds of them. You can end this war with a swing of your sword. Think how many songs they'll sing in your honor. So, while multi-strand narratives have been around for millennia, what is important to note about the term hyperlink cinema is that Court chose it to fuse it to the internet age. However, in the years since Court's astute and crucial observation, Another categorization has been rapidly gaining currency, intersectionality. Most often used with reference to feminism, it can nonetheless be applied to Mira Nair's monsoon wedding. Screened at the Cannes market in May 2001, monsoon wedding secured international distribution and on August the 31st of that year, Nair's picture received its official world premiere at the 58th Venice Film Festival. It tells the seemingly simple story of a family wedding, threading together such various narrative strands of an arranged marriage, where the bride, Aditi Verma, played by Vizunder Adaz, is already having an affair with a married man. Then there is the hassled paterfamilias, Lalit Verma, played by Nazaruddin Shah, 
who is trying to corral the wedding planner, PK, played by Vijay Raz, because his inept management threatens to derail the reunion of the extended family. And then there is PK's burgeoning love for the family's near-invisible housemaid, Alice, played by Talotama Shom. The Venice jury, headed up by Nanny Moretti, duly award Nair with the Golden Lion, thus making her not just India's second director after Satyajit Ray to win the accolade, but also the very first woman in the history of the festival to secure the top prize. Here is Nair in 2016, speaking at the Comparative Global Humanities Conference at Tufts University. It's interesting, you know, when you're growing up in India in the 60s and 70s, you have a much greater sense of the world than the Americans have of you, you know. We knew, uh, you know, we actually marched for the Vietnam War as 12-year-olds, as you know, and we knew all the lyrics of the Beatles, and we, you know, and there was no television then, it was just reading, and, but we, you know, we were steeped in Shakespeare and, and Keats and Blake, and that was what we learned, you know, all of that. So we have a, a bigger sense of the world than the world had of us uh, as, as contemporary Indians. So what is intersectionality and how does it apply to monsoon wedding? Intersectionality asserts that people are often disadvantaged by multiple sources of oppression. Their race, class, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion and other identity markers such as language and regional accent. In applying intersectionality to the film, let us begin with the way Sabrina Davan's script uses the different languages spoken in the film. While Hindi is the language most commonly used in Delhi, the film's Hindi dialogue is routinely interspersed with Punjabi and Urdu, and then all three are laced with the use of English. All the principal characters are bilingual, that is, with the exception of Alice, the housemaid. At this stage, it is important to point out that Sabrina Davan wrote the first draft of the script while a student in Nair's film class at Columbia University. Davan was born in England, raised in New Delhi, and is now Associate Professor of Screenwriting at the Tisch School of Arts at New York University. By comparison, Nair's life path has taken her from her birthplace in Bhubaneswar, India, to Harvard University, where she studied sociology, Uganda, where she lived for over two decades, and more recently, to New York. So it is perhaps to be expected that language would be an important theme in the film. Just how important can be heard in the director's commentary when Nair explains this exchange between Alice and the wedding organizer Dubey. The two are clearly attracted to one another, but they are wary any possible approach might violate the other's customs and caste. Alice is Christian and, as a maid, is considered beneath Dubey. As for Dubey, his name indicates he is Hindu and his job places him in a higher social standing. In fact, Dubey represents the burgeoning new middle class, whose confidence is built upon the modern technologies of mobile phones and internet business. The scene begins with Dubey hesitantly entering the kitchen and asking whether he can have a drink of water. Alice obliges and, to generate conversation, he presents her with his business card, clarifying that although he is called P.K. Dubey, P.K. is not his first name, but rather the initials of his first two names, Parabatlal Kanayalal. P.K. says that name makes people laugh in the city, 
so he uses Dubeji instead. To an English speaker, that would make sense. But what adds a further texture is the translated from Hindi into English, PK Dube is a pun. PK means drink, while Dube means drown. While the film stands under the vast umbrella of Indian culture, in terms of religion, Hinduism, as practiced by the Verma family, accounts for over 79% of the population, while Christianity registers as less than 3%. As for the guests, several have flown in from around the world – America, Canada, Australia and Dubai. And while everyone is in a celebratory mood, there is undoubtedly a sometimes subliminal, other times explicit hierarchy within the family as to who is the more Indian. Coupling that post-colonial phenomenon, Nair was unable to secure sufficient funding from home and needed to source foreign financing from the United States, India, France and Germany. All sizable markets, but undoubtedly the United States was the most important, and that investment was vindicated when the film's initial outlay of $1.3 million earned over 10 times that at the North American box office. But beyond intersectionality, Nair's film offers several other points of convergence. The first point, indeed a strong hint that convergence will be a dominant theme, can be seen from as early as the opening title sequence. Designed by Manhattan agency Trollbeck & Company, it begins with a frame coloured by a solid black of marigold, across which threads a thin line of red. With the first credit reading in white at the top of the frame, the red line flows across the bottom curling like a piece of string, before suddenly expanding so that it becomes the dominant colour. Marigold is now replaced by red. But no sooner has that transition been completed than the red dissolves to a medium blue with the credits reading in marigold. A sky blue line weaves across the bottom of the frame, as does a marigold across the top. Simultaneously they swerve towards one another and intertwine, to make two conjoined faces. The film's title appears, and in less than 60 seconds, the theme of convergence has been suggested. Such convergence can also be found in Naira's career. The film that drew her to cinema was Giulio Pontecorvo's The Battle of Algiers, which incidentally won the Golden Lion at Venice in 1966. To depict the Algerian War of Independence, Pontecorvo deployed Cinema Vergite, and Cinema Vergite has been evident in almost all of Nair's work ever since. Or to be poetic about it, and to quote from Amardeep Singh's recently published analysis of Nair's work, the aesthetic is Diaspora Vergite. Here is Nair in 2007, speaking at University College Davis, addressing Cinema Diaspora. Well, um, I try to play it every way, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> in the sense that I really have a high barometer for a tone in one's work that explains our culture. Mm -hmm. I can't bear that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also have a very, uh, I have a cute sensitivity to making films that will explain to the West what we mean, why is this red dot, what is this, I can't crap, it's just crap for me, I can't bear it. <laughs> it's boring and it means that your point of view is the West or the point mm -hmm. of view is the person mm -hmm. who doesn't know you. Mm -hmm. 
With regard to the film's soundtrack, Monsoon Wedding mixes the Sufi sacred music of Kowali with a form of Arabic amatory poems, as well as Urdu folk music, all mixed with hip-hop tracks composed by Michael Dana. Dana has worked with Nair on several films, and for Monsoon Wedding, Nair explained she did not want a prototypical Ravi Shankar sound, but rather something that would better reflect contemporary India. Besides music genre, there is also film genre. Obviously, Monsoon Wedding mixes the wedding genre with the family genre, as well as tropes from Bollywood musicals. As could be expected, Nair then infused them all with the strain of comedy. But it must be pointed out, neither farce nor satire. Why? Because in the final sequence, the storylines converge to confront child sexual abuse. Just let her go. Is anything the matter, beta? What is it? Just let her go. Chalo. Let her go from what? You, you bastard. Chalo, Alia. Are hey, you alright? Have you gone mad? I don't know. Maybe she's had a bit too much to drink, huh? Oh. <laughs> Alia, What happened? It wasn't enough that he touched me when I was a girl. That wasn't enough that you had to teach Alia how older people kiss. Priya, will you stop this nonsense? What did you get out of it? I didn't even have breasts, you sick man. What? But the he's pagan. Seven afternoons. Seven afternoons of, of how old people kiss. Ria. He took my clothes off. Ria, open your mouth, Ria. Ria open your mouth. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. And that for me is the ultimate proof of Nair's talent as a director. She has always displayed a strong ability to direct a cast of various ages and backgrounds. Monsoon Wedding mixes professional actors with friends and family who had never appeared on screen before. In fact, for her debut feature, Salam Bombay, Nair's story centred on and cast real-life street urchins. Needing to keep the young, distressed cast focused on the immediate tasks at hand, Nair very cleverly recruited a yoga master to provide meditation sessions for the children at the start of each day. The strategy worked and the film duly earned her not only the Audience Award at the 1988 Cannes Film Festival, but also an Academy Award nomination for Best Foreign Language Film. Another of Nair's frequent collaborators is cinematographer Declan Quinn, with whom she has worked across three other films, Kama Sutra, Vanity Fair and The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Here is Quinn speaking five years ago at the Camera Image Fest in Bydgosz, Poland, detailing his affinity to mix drama with cinema verite. Um, well, I, I've been a fan of documentary my whole career and I've shot a number of, you know, throughout my career as well. And um, so I guess I have a certain aesthetic that comes from verite style of cinema and, and, and documentary making. Um, I know that, you know, documentaries have changed and evolved in many ways. And, and uh, so I guess what I look for is an authenticity or kind of a, a sense of that you're telling that you're documenting rather than uh, manufacturing a story around the people. Mixing such different genres and styles, drama, comedy, musical interludes and cinema verite, all before revealing the child's sexual abuse, reinforces Nair's strength in maintaining a consistent tone. In the hands of lesser directors, 
that revelation would have thundered the film off the tracks and it would never have recovered. It takes a specially gifted director with, yes, an eye for drama, but perhaps more importantly, an ear for tone, in order to mediate the shift from gaiety to heartbreak. I am not aware if there is a particular genre title which addresses the specific issue of child sexual abuse, but although made in 2001, Nye's decision to confront the subject catapults Monsoon Wedding into the present-day Me Too movement. Help! 